What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? We have got a massive show for you today. So probably one of the most important FOMC meetings ever starts. Eh, well, we're going to get the rate hike in about two hours and we're going to get Powell's speech at 2.30. Uh, we have all the information you need to know about the White House absolutely slamming cryptocurrency. And we're going to take a deep dive into the Balaji argument. Not the argument that Bitcoin's going to a million, but the argument that banks are severely insolvent that the Fed knew about it, and we have the proof. Mikey, take us into the show, buddy. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Corval, you're muted, brother. You're muted. Let's let your sweet voice come through. How are you doing? There you are. There you are, man. I'm good. I'm good. So, all right. So, you know, Clay, Clay, Clay bailed on us. I have abandonment issues personally, but mm -hmm. I, I bailed on you guys yesterday. I, I took my son to Universal for, uh, for his birthday. And I, like, we ate so much garbage. Like, we went to the Harry Potter land and drank their butter beer, which is like cream yeah. soda, but with like butterscotch on top. I feel like like hot death today, dude. Just like oh, straight yeah, up, straight hot death. But that looks like where Clay is behind you. He's had yeah, down I'm to down, uh, Utah. Dude. He thinks he can run away to the mountains to Utah to, to dude. Switch your mic. Away. You're not on the good mic, man. We got to get you on that on that good sound real quick before we kick this there, off. No. Ah, say say something. Hello. Say something hello? Yeah, you're in. You're in. All right, cool, cool, my, cool. My cord came loose. I was saying I'm out here hunting Clay down, dude. He thinks he can escape <laughs> his responsibilities in the fucking mountains. What a joke. <laughs> I got him. Oh, my God. All right, let's get after it. Let's let's get into the show. So we have a big, big show. We are going to, we're going to talk about the White House's uh, empty argument against cryptocurrency we are going to talk about the fomc meeting which is coming up and then we're i want to do a deep dive into this balaji argument because i think so i spent the morning watching uh his interview with pomp and i think a lot of people put too much stock in his dollar call on btc and they say million dollar btc that's such horseshit i'm not even going to read any further but when you actually hear this guy and you see the proof and he explains to you like really what this means there's a bigger story here and so I really want to get into that. So let's talk about, let's look at the bubbles real quick. Ugh, let's not look at the bubbles. Let's let's look at <laughs> the bubbles are ugly today. That's all right. Doge is up. Hex, I don't know. I don't even know anything about Hex, ADA. All right, let's kick over to the chart real quick. So I do want to warn you guys real quick. So there's severe volatility always on FOMC day, right? And, and for anyone that doesn't know, FOMC, it's called the Federal Open Market Committee. It is, uh, it's a meeting of the Fed presidents. They get together and they decide what the rates are going to be moving forward. And they do it, they don't do it every single month. Like the one after this, I believe is going to come in May, but what everyone's expecting to happen. And you guys all know that they, they've been hiking rates like crazy. So, uh, there, the market is actually pricing in another rate hike of 25 basis points. My personal feeling is that we will see a pause now, either way, I think the markets are going to respond somewhat favorably. However, if we actually do get the pause and Corval, I'm interested to know your, your take on this. If we actually do get the pause that might signal to the risk markets that there is a much, much greater problem than then I think a lot of people are willing to absorb on the surface. I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's um, it would be kind of worrying if they were to do a pause because they've been doing this language that it's like all under control, business as usual, inflation is still bad. Powell's been saying that for what like the last year that we're not going to stop. We expect you know to to keep raising like throughout this mm -hmm. year. So for it to suddenly turn around. That would be like a tacit acknowledgement that the situation in the banks is a lot worse than they're saying publicly. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that it is uh, worse than they've been claiming publicly. And we're going to get into that today for sure. I, I do want to warn you guys. So FOMC meetings are high volatility. And really where I was going with that whole spiel I just gave was uh, the pre-FOMC pumps generally come back. Uh, to baseline, whatever baseline is, right? So don't get too excited seeing this pump ahead of time. A lot of this is just posturing, positioning, and taking out of uh, areas of liquidity before the big move. All right, so let's let's start with the FOMC. And I think, so let me refresh this real quick. So this is what the market is pricing in right now. We have an 86.4% probability, according to these guys, mm -hmm. of a 25 basis point hike and a 13.6% probability of a no hike. Now, another way to read this, right, is 86.4% comfortable with the Fed's actions to backstop the banks, 13.6% not quite as comfortable with it. And this is really, you know, so the next one we're going to get is May 3rd, and they're already pricing in cuts by like June and July, which is a huge pivot uh pun intended from what the market thought was going to happen before i mean there were there was a long time we didn't see any cuts coming until 2024 and now we see potentially a pause today but i think what's really going to be important and and for anyone that's new to the fomc thing it's not so much the number uh of how many basis points they raise or whether they raise or not but it's about powell's tone and the way that he speaks in the speech that starts at 2.30 Eastern. So they, they give us the rates at, at 2 p.m. Eastern, 30 minutes later, he goes on and he starts talking. And that's when the markets go absolutely wonky. And if you wanna watch this in real time, uh, there's, I think Bloomberg shows it for free. You should be able to get it on YouTube. Uh, Definitely. Web. Yep. And so a couple of takes here uh, that I just wanna share real quick about FOMC. Here's one. So this is uh, from a guy named Kyle Campbell. The market expects a 25 basis point hike. It was trending towards 52 weeks ago. Many would prefer a pause. The figure doesn't uh, matter nearly as much as how the Fed sells it. I think we just talked about that. The line so far has been the system is stable. Government actions have implied otherwise. How do they bridge that gap? And then we've got uh, a tweet from DB, tier 10K. Uh, shaved a few valuable milliseconds off the rate decision bot. Now we just wait. At present, the market uh, anticipates 85% probability. Keep an eye out for any modifications to the phrase ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. And uh, real quick, a tweet from the CoBC Co letter. Today, the Fed has to choose between inflation and the regional bank crisis, which we're about to talk about. On one hand, inflation has been above 5% for 22 months. On the other hand, the collapse of regional banks began with rapidly rising rates. Meanwhile, inflation is still at 6%. How did we end up here? And I would, you know, I mean, this is, this is a bear case for the US dollar, like getting to the point to where the system is breaking so badly that they have to stop using the tools they have to tame inflation. This is an end game. 
And now as we're going to, we're going to hear about and learn about from Balaji, you know, they're monetizing the debt that these banks have. And that is like, that's basically an unlimited money printer. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I think we, we talked about Balaji on the show a couple of days ago. We actually invited him to come on the show a couple of minutes ago. And he's done multiple interviews recently. One that he did, uh, I believe it came out yesterday. He did it with Anthony Pompliano. And, and this guy, he, he brings a lot of evidence to back up his claims, right? So let's take the $1 million out of this. Completely forget about the call to $1 million. I, I've picked up six small clips that should bring every single person that's watching this up to speed on exactly what his argument is. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Drop it in the comments, uh, and and we're gonna have a little wrap about we're it. We're all gonna be reacting to this together. I haven't seen these either. Okay, so I'm, I'm all interested. Right. Let's do it. Here we go. Across. Let me know if sound um, doesn't come through. This is a graph of like how much Treasury is making. Look at that, just down into the right. Okay. This is a graph of how meaning I mean, they're they're losing money. Okay, Treasury. The central bank is losing money. It doesn't look like normal normal times. Okay. Um, this is a graph of uh, unrealized losses. Okay, and this is really like the core bomb that's blowing up this whole thing. All of these- And Balaji, Balaji right. just so people understand, the chart that we're looking at here, this is unrealized losses for the banks, the actual uh, yes. large banks, mid-sized banks, small banks. This is their unrealized losses that are sitting on their balance sheets that they don't necessarily have to mark to market. Yeah, unless you actually come and ask for your dollars. Okay, if you ask for your cash, There'll be an Uncle Sam Bakeman Freed situation where they don't have the dollars on hand to make up for it. But that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. That's what happened with other banks. Credit Suisse has now just admitted it was a bank run that got them. And the digital age bank runs are very fast. Once people hear that something's possibly insolvent, they all just go and pull their money out, right? Okay, so so we've talked about this numerous times, uh, and mm -hmm. we're going to get into this a little bit more. But what he's showing here is through so through some creative accounting, right? Uh, on the on the the p l or the balance sheets of these banks, they weren't required to show these unrealized losses as they truly are, right? If you've got something that's in in the held to maturity uh, camp, right? You're just saying, hey, I'm going to keep it for the full ten years. And so I'm going to put it on my balance sheet as the million dollars that I paid for it or whatever the case may be. And that's all good and well unless people want to pull their money out. And if people want to pull their money out, you have to go get them their money, which means you've got to sell these suckers. And, and so what he's essentially saying here is this is not limited to Silvergate or Silicon Valley Bank or even Credit Suisse, which we found out recently, um, or First Republic or any of the others, PacWest that's going down today. Like there's going to be a lot more. Um, and so the Fed is really the one that put them in this jackpot. And so let's let's keep going before I pontificate too much here. Uh, <laughs> let's Let's kick over to this next one. Unrealized losses, lowering tangible equity capital. Basically, what they're saying is, um, at the at the end of 2021, four banks had you know tangible equity. This is this thing they've made up tangible equity capital. TLDR is at the end of 2021, four banks were insolvent. By June 30th, they knew 333 of these community banks were insolvent. Meaning, if there was an economic shock, go ahead. If you came for the money, the money was gone. Go ahead. And that comes specifically for those that uh, are trying to understand what happened there. At the end of 2021, rates were still at 0%. By June, it was very clear that they were hiking rates and we're going to continue to oh, hike by rates. March. So, yeah. Yeah. But it was a surprise. By June, right. it, was very, it was very severe. And it was. So we saw, we saw Powell sit in front of Congress back on March the 7th and say that the banking system 
is in good shape, that the banks are solvent, that we're good to go. What he's Yellen showing said is, that yesterday too. <laughs> I'm sure Yellen said it as well, right? Because they have to say that. Mm -hmm. What he's showing here is that all the way back in June of 2022, they knew of 330 regional banks that were insolvent. Now, what did they do? Did they go and tell the depositors, hey, these are insolvent, you should pull your money out? Of course not, because that's going to expose the hole. It's going to let everyone know. So he keeps liking them to SBF. So just like SBF, right? He, he was banking, I guess, pun intended, on the fact that nobody was going to come and pull all of their money out. Because if they came and pulled all of their money out and that happened, then it was going to expose the hole. Exact same thing is going on here with the banks, right? They've got these long dated treasuries. They're way the hell underwater. And they're, they're writing them on their balance sheet as worth the full amount at maturity so as to not cause you know crazy issues. But if people go and pull their money out, that's a problem. And so the Fed's job right now is to prevent people from pulling their money out. But if we see a massive bank run on a number of banks, which is coming, uh, we've got a much, much, much bigger problem on our hand. And some even would say that, you know, the goal here is to consolidate, to bring it down to just Bank of America, just Wells Fargo, just JP Morgan Chase, whoever the fourth biggest bank is, I don't know. Uh, but it's an interesting theory and there's more. Let's keep going. Yeah. So... So here is, he, he's going to go over in this clip the way that the Fed basically set the banks up, right? They, they put them in a perpetual jackpot by saying, we've got the uh, safest investment in the world in U.S. Treasuries. Oh, and by the way, inflation's not real. Don't worry about it. Inflation, right? Inflation fear lurks, even as officials say not to worry. Powell Dowd plays inflation risk as Yellen foreshadows future spending, right? And then... Whoop, like this. Okay. So, you know, again, people who are watching this don't need to know how interest rates work, but essentially what they did was they faked out everybody. Everybody who's making long term plans, they said inflation was a conspiracy theory. It's not real. You buy 10 year bonds. That denial continued through 2021. Then the rates just got hiked super fast in one year higher than 10 years. Everybody who is a bondholder got destroyed, including SVB by many others, all by the Fed. This is what happened. Right. Everybody who trusted the Fed, everybody who made essentially a long term bet in 2021 on the 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 full faith and credit of the US government on the financial health, 10 year bond, supposed to be a stable country. It's not supposed to go wee, 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 wee up and down like this. Right. Um, they got destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Basically, in a sense, if you still thought America was the same country in mid 2021 and you still kept doing what you were doing, then you weren't doing the right thing. Clearly, the country had just permanently changed, right? And so this is, you know, so a lot of, you remember, there were so many conspiracy theories over the last few years, and I would say specifically under the Biden administration, that have been proven to be true. And many of them would get you deplatformed. They would get your life destroyed. They would absolutely come after you if you said, you know, hydroxychloroquine would 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 cure COVID or ivermectin or, or that the vaccines maybe were not as good for you as, you know, vitamin C as they were letting you know. So, but mm -hmm. fast forward, they, they use the same playbook when it comes to inflation, the exact same playbook. Here's the narrative. If you go against the narrative, you're a conspiracy theorist, probably a racist too. Right. And so they set the banks up and anyone that believed in the fed was completely screwed. Do you have any, 
comments on this before we move on? No, just like you're right that it's a total, uh, it reminds me of like the early days of COVID. It, it, you could make the case that they just don't want to instill a panic that they're trying to just like make sure that the problem doesn't come to fruition before they're ready to handle it. But I do remember in uh, the early days of COVID, people being like like uh, that January and the December before it really became kind of big. Uh, people saying like we got to shut down like the borders with China. We got to like this was when Trump was still president too. We, we got to like yeah, we got to take some 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 uh, action towards this. People are like, shut up! You're like racist. You're stupid. It doesn't. It's not real. And then next thing you know, it's a uh, global calamity. <laughs> And uh, we could very well be seeing the same thing here um, in terms of just like a small little risk that some people have pointed out, but they're kind of shouted down. And then it uh, turns out the bigger players have been aware of it the whole time. Yeah. And to Mace Papa's point, this isn't a partisan thing, right? Everyone, everyone voted for the most part for the ridiculous inflationary policy that put us where we are. But my point is uh, that if th they had gotten to the point to where they must have realized that, okay, all of this money enters the economy and it goes into banks, right? So the banks are cranking and they got to figure out something to do with this money. And I think that's a clip we're going to get into in a second too. Mm -hmm. um, but they've got to figure out something to do with this money. And so, well, what do you do with it? Well, you put it in the safest investment in the world, which are these treasuries. And the only thing that could screw that up is a major hiking cycle. And so the, the Fed's telling these people, hey, there's no major hiking cycle coming because inflation's transitory. It's not going to happen. So don't worry. You can bank on us. Again, pun intended. So let's get into this clip and then we'll keep going. Oh, real quick. I wanted to. The banks, central banks. Yeah. Oh, real Go ahead. quick. I wanted to say that this really isn't, a, this isn't really a partisan thing. It's a, it is a bipartisan thing. It's more of the, uh, the institutions as they exist are not like set up to be maximizing your well-being kind of thing right it doesn't matter if it's a democrat or a republican like powell was appointed by obama uh, elevated by trump and then reappointed by biden it's it's a bipartisan thing yeah agreed good point all right let's keep this going thanks the banks and banking regulars all knew a huge crash was coming the phrase is unrealized losses but they never notified you the depositor instead they allow, the regulators allowed banks to hide their literal insolvency and in footnotes until one guy figured it out, okay? And so here, just take a look at this, ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I guess I'm the only one using Twitter blue to its fullest. <laughs> when I saw you use this, I literally said, Twitter blue was made for Balaji footnotes. This is amazing. Right? So, cause I'm not like, this is not, oh, you some crazy guy just saying this, blah, blah, blah. I have names and dates and specific links in their archive. So I'm just gonna show you five links that show that the central bank, which is a fed, the banks and the banking regulators all knew a huge crash was coming, but they never notified you, the depositor. Instead, they allowed banks to hide their literal insolvency and footnotes until somebody figured it out, okay? So link number one, here's the fed, okay? All the banks are insolvent. 333 community banks versus four over here, okay? And by the way, people will be like, oh, how'd they hide it, huh? They publish it on the web. That's really hiding it, right? It's called, you know, well, you call it hiding in plain sight. Or you could say, all right, did they tell the depositors, the millions of like Republicans and so on, that the banks had lost their money? You know, that, that the Fed had told the banks to lose their money? Did you notify the depositors? Publishing this coded kind of thing on their website does not say in plain English 
that if you came for your dollars, it would not be there, right? So All right, so let's go, let's go to the next one. We're getting to the end of these and I'll stop playing videos for you guys, I promise. In architecture, but for banks, where somehow the money can be gone overnight, that's the anarchy. But the tyranny is 5,000. Why the heck is this stupid? I mean, all these forms and all this verbiage there, but the regulator doesn't know that the bank is insolvent, didn't warn depositors. You find out in a bank run with all of these filings. That was, that was what I was trying to figure out. How, when did this actually happen? And then I pulled on that and I pulled on that and I pulled on that until I could add up what I was seeing in front of me. And I was like, they're all dead. This is just the first bank that floated up to the surface. All the banks are dead and they're just going to keep coming up. And so, you know, that's why I tweeted this and nobody else ever is like, uh, you know, March 11th, as soon as I kind of, I got on this like a dog on a bone. Cause I was like, how the heck could a $200 billion bank go to zero like this? And it's like, oh, that wasn't a unique cause of them as treasury. Cause everybody's trying to blame it on how oh, they did risky VC bets. And so no, they bought treasuries, which was like supposedly the safest asset in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even on March like 11th, right. I was like, what we'd like to see in the coming weeks, it wasn't a single bank issue, it was a central bank issue, right? Most banks are suffering unrealized losses thanks to rapid change. And people are like, no, no, you're trying to make special cleaning, right? And there's all kinds of weird optical illusions that people have in this space. They like worship the Fed. Oh my God, I can't believe you're blaming the Fed. So it's starting to get kind of clear that a lot of this happened basically due to allowed accounting practices, right? So you've got the Fed, you've got the treasuries way underwater. Now they're allowed to get magical on their balance sheets and mark these in a particular way that does not make them completely obvious, right? And so here's kind of like the end game and then we can get into a discussion here. Sovereign default. But now, ta-da, they have managed to get people to eat that sovereign default and now they just hope that basically the level of inflation that's in the system where they've just increased the money supply so dramatically is not something that's going to flow into Bitcoin. And, and like, I know everything I'm saying here just sounds like really complicated and intricate and like hard to track or whatever. But the TLDR is, imagine if Sam Bankman-Fried, he had these assets, you know, he, he owed you a thousand Bitcoin. People came back and he only had 400 Bitcoin. And he had assets that he thought were worth 600 Bitcoin. Um, he couldn't sell those to get 600 Bitcoin. But then suddenly in comes the government and issues him stuff over here, new Bitcoins, and he could give them back. That won't work for Bitcoin because you can't print Bitcoin. The 21 million limit is actually, it's such a simple but important hard constraint on the entire system, right? Whereas with the Fed, they can swoop in behind the scenes and start printing dollars such that these guys can make good on their obligations, right? And that is what has happened where there's essentially like both domestic and international bailouts. Now, by the way, just to take temperature. Um All right, so that's it. I'm going to stop I'm going to stop beating you guys down with <laughs> videos, but there was a lot of information there and he explains it in such a way that he says, "Look, the Fed is both the arsonist and the firefighter. They created this and they're swooping in." Now, we we're sitting in a place where, you know, he uses the word sovereign default, which is it's a big deal, right? That's that's a country defaulting, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, they're coming out with this hit piece against Bitcoin. Now, he, he said it right there. We've got all this money in the economy, this major inflation, and all we can do is hope and pray that it doesn't flow into Bitcoin. He brings up a really interesting point, right? So what are your thoughts, buddy? 
So uh, maybe it's because I just read it before the show, but but that hit piece you're talking about, about cryptocurrencies by the, the administration, it's kind of ironic because one of the things they highlight is the uh, stable coin run risk is what they call it, like the, the run risk inherent to stable coins because of uh, their inability to meet obligations if people want to cash out. They say that if you have a stable coin, you can't redeem it uh, directly, uh, which I mean... I'm pretty sure you can with Circle. I know, like you have to be an institution. You definitely, yeah, you definitely do have to go through platforms, but you can redeem it for one dollar. But it seems like uh, the real run risk was in the banks the whole time. The one whisk <laughs> was in the banks the whole time, um, because yeah, it, the mechanism that they're describing in the in the paper is actually exactly what happened in real life with the banks. Um, you know, they they have this this spread of assets not the spread of assets, but the spread between like their cash on hand and these treasuries. I don't know. It's, it's really twisted, man. It's uh, it, it also reminds me of yesterday when we were talking about credit Suisse, those AT one bonds, uh, top tier bonds. Now junk. We're seeing mm-hmm. top tier assets in uh, sovereign countries now being worth nothing. It's uh, not apocalyptic. I don't want to be a doomsayer, but it's not good. It's not a good sign for the health of the economy. Well, and if you go, man, I, I did an interview with uh, Perry Ann Boring a while back, and I've referenced her a few times because she's like one of the heroes of crypto. But like she, she's the founder of uh, the Chamber of Digital Commerce. And like it didn't get a lot of views, that episode, but it was freaking badass. And she got into a lot of the history of fiat money. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you look at the history of fiat money, it's con- you know that's controlled by a central bank, right? We were pulled off of the gold standard or nixon to fund vietnam they don't last that long uh they don't last that long at all right and so there's always an end game somewhere and people think okay well the the united states it would never happen now there's you've got on the one hand you have significant demand for the u.s dollar because so much is settled in u.s dollars not the least of which is oil the petrodollar Mm -hmm. something about 50 percent of all international settlements are in u.s dollars it's absolutely insane, right? But on the other hand, you have this. You have two of the largest and most most wealthy nations in the entire world have now decided to use the Chinese yuan uh, instead of US dollars to settle trade, right? And so we've got a time where the economy is the economy is not in bad shape, I don't think yet. But the, you know, the, the financials are, the banks are like things are cracking in a big way. And I think nobody just really knows how much has come to the surface. And a big part of what kind of keep the glue that binds that is the demand for the U.S. dollar. If there continuous, if there's continuous demand for the U.S. dollar, then it'll continue to be the world's reserve currency. And you ask anyone in an older generation, they'll go, the dollar is always going to be here. It's always going to be the world's reserve currency. And then you see us pissing people off. Right. Like you've got you've got China and Russia coming to the table and saying, "Okay, here's a ceasefire peace deal that we want to put together. And you've got the White House going, any ceasefire is not going to work for us. You know, they came out and said that yesterday. And I'm like, what the what the (laughs) hell, dude? You know, like, no, we do want peace, don't we? So it's really interesting to see all this play out. And, And what do we do? So let's say let's say this does happen. Right. For anyone that's living in the United States. What do we do? Like, what do you do in the case of you know, a mass crashing of banks, 
Like, how do you, what, how, what do you do? You pray, dude. You pray. I, hopefully you got some Bitcoin. Hopefully the, I mean, it remains to be seen how effective, uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin, but it remains, this is like the true trial by fire, right? If we do see a crash, how is Bitcoin going to perform? And if it performs well, amen, dude, we made it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's yet to be seen. We got to see the real test. Satoshi prepped us for this, baby. <laughs> well, I think we've been seeing a bit of a test. Mm-hmm. uh you know recently right and i and i do think equities like if we see a real major crash equities are not going to fly you know mm-hmm. uh and anything considered to be a risk on asset which B- bitcoin is however if it starts to be viewed as a safe haven as an escape as an assurance of freedom that's different right and and don't put it past the united states government to go for a confiscation scheme. They've done it in the past, right? They yeah. did it with gold during World War II. Come tender in your gold. And if you don't, we're coming to get it, right? And then you've got places like Texas who just introduced a bill to preserve the rights of Bitcoin holders. That if you hold Bitcoin, nobody can infringe upon your right to do so, right? And so the states are starting to push back against the federal government in, in the midst of all this. And you know what's what's really, really interesting? Like we're so hyper focused on everything happening day to day especially because we do this show Mm -hmm. but if you zoom out right the blocks keep going the transactions keep working and it continues to be what it is without the need of any centralized authority and this is the first time in history that there has been an escape from the you know the traditional banking system now this is really really important and if you know i've, I've mentioned turkey a lot on here but if you if you look to the folks in turkey that had 70 percent inflation right who worked their entire life uh and all of a sudden like basically overnight their their government just just poopy duped on it right yeah you ask them the need for for bitcoin or venezuela or any of these other you know nations that had some shit go down yeah i'm uh keep, i'm gonna keep peppering in the stuff from the the uh i have it on this monitor here the uh the biden document the white house Why don't document we get into it let's get into it share screen yeah, yeah. jump up there, um so here we go let me show you something i do think we need to get into this hit piece yeah argentina too man argentina too so ooh. hold on i'm throwing you up there okay there go, we, were, buddy. <laughs> we were countering each other so, Can you uh, control plus that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Or zoom, hit here. that plus button up top. There we go. Beautiful. So let me see. There's an area here where we're talk. They're talking about one of the weak. So how they've broken this down is there's like a claim for like the perceived benefit of cryptocurrency, and then they have like their counterclaims, right? The reality they call it the reality of crypto assets. So one of the key ones is cryptocurrencies are mostly speculative investment vehicles, like whether or not they're valuable as investment vehicles, basically they're too volatile. But what I want to talk about specifically in here is they talk about how um, using them as a, a unit of account and exchange. So, you know, like if I have like a goat, I can say the goat is worth $10 or like five Satoshis or whatever. Right. But the thing that they say here is that the benefit of like the US dollar comes from like the belief in the value of the US dollar, the belief in the institutions of the US government and our military, everything combined, right? And they say that the weakness, because they, they, they make the clear point that like cryptocurrencies do not have a fundamental value like gold or silver does and that like gold can be used for an actual purpose, like land can be used for an actual purpose. So it has a tangible value. 
dollars because they're not backed by gold do not and neither does cryptocurrency right like outside of trading cryptocurrency i can't really use it for anything like tangible but the value that the us dollar has comes from this belief in the institutions but what we're seeing is now like and we've been seeing it for a while is like a lot of loss of faith in the us institutions um and this is kind of like snowballing it here this is kind of like where one of the strongest claims against cryptocurrency can be kind of flipped on its head is that if people start to lose like you see it in venezuela you saw it in turkey like people lose belief in the value of their currency because it's massively debased like rapidly and if we start to see something like that happen in the us that's 50 percent of the world that loses its belief in this underlying currency or the, this this common currency and so crypto makes sense to kind of assume that value because what are you going to transact in yuan i mean people will kind of this is speculative but i would hope that people kind of lose faith in the the that tying it into one nation you know the like the belief that one nation is capable of of maintaining this kind of trustless system i mean people internationally have already lost taste for the us dollar because of its use as a weapon um as we've discussed with China and Russia now stepping in. But, but many people don't understand the financial warfare that you, the United States engages in. You oh, know, yeah. they were going to let Saddam just go on his merry way until he decided he was going to transact in oil outside of the US dollar. And then it was mm -hmm. go time. Right. And so this is interesting because the way that you describe this, it sounds a lot like the Madoff playbook. Right. Because if anyone watched Madoff on Netflix, like, he was printing up these statements. He just had to keep everyone happy. You just got to keep you just got to keep the money in the system, baby. Keep it looking good. And and a Ponzi does not work if everyone pulls out, right? And yeah. you know, when in doubt, pull out applies here too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, go ahead. It, it it is so this Pazuzu is 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 right here in that well, not I wouldn't say completely right that crypto is is literally worthless at this point. Things are worth whatever people are willing to trade them for, right? Like mm -hmm. beads and shells are kind of worthless, but people tra trans have transact whether they're first currencies. People chose to transact in them because they're easily exchangeable. It's it's really about perceived value and where that perceived value comes from, whether it's a manufactured scarcity or true scarcity, like you see with gold, um, is kind of irrelevant as long as. It, it functions like you can trust it like i can trust that that this can't be completely devalued by monetary expansion or you know manipulation globally so there is a point though you know there's a point of critical mass where so for a while the u.s government was very very trusted and then we start seeing behind the curtain like the wizard of oz and we start kind of mm -hmm. seeing the truth about the way some of it operates right and so that trust gets fractured over time but like if it's fractured for me but everyone else still trusts then i'm going to transact in us dollars but there does come a point to where the sovereignty of the bitcoin network and we mentioned bitcoin because it's the biggest and it would probably mm -hmm. be the one but um the sovereignty and the sustainability of the bitcoin network the ability to exit the traditional system offers more trust than a government does and yeah. if there's if there's a default of the united states dollar make make no mistake my friends this will crack the world like it will not be you know like when cyprus had the banking problems right or you know sri lanka is you know 
having some banking problems right now. This is like, this will crack the world if it happens. And all of us should hope and pray that it doesn't, but history teaches us that it's coming. And if it doesn't come in our lifetime, it'll come in, in the next generation's lifetime, but it is coming unless they shift to some new system, right? It's like, it's like the decks that ran out of incentives and they go, okay, here's what we're going to do, right? We got a new token for y'all and we are going to emit the living shit out of this thing to keep your liquidity in the system. And then eventually that's going to peter out, right? So unless they get really creative and a lot of, a lot of people are speculating that, you know, the fed now system ties into CBDC. I don't know that it does necessarily. However, that's a big part of this, this paper too, right? It's laying out the case for fed now and CBDC. Am I correct? Yeah. So their case for, so they begrudgingly acknowledge some value to cryptocurrencies in this paper. Uh, a lot of it is saying, you know, that they're not good at what they're designed for. Um, most are not decentralized. Most can't pro process massive amounts of transactions. It's pretty much just a, um, what do you call it? A database with some extra steps. And uh, they, they lay out some pretty decent criticisms, but one of the ones... Um, but when talking about the Fed now, they acknowledge that there is a need for instantaneous settlement like 24-7 across the economy and that this could help facilitate underbanked people and debanked people participating in an economic system, in the economic system. Um, so the Fed now thing, we brought it up a couple of times. I'm still not super upset about it. Uh, I wish Clay was here. I know Clay's got some really strong opinions on Fed now. But uh, I think you and I, it's not going to be a great debate because I think you and I are on the same page, Austin. FedNow is pretty much like Zelle. It's just a, it's yeah, just like a, I agree with you. I don't think FedNow is CBDC. Yeah, it, it, no. it's, they, they claim spe specifically in this paper that FedNow could remove the need for a CBDC by allowing instantaneous settlement. It, it's just like another layer between banks. So like you say, right. you go to your bank, you say, I want to send money. That bank no longer has to worry about how to route it, you know? It's like having a smart router, Beethoven smart router, dude. It just automatically right. will route it for you. Well, and that's but, the thing uh, with the CBDC, we're assuming, okay, we've all got this wallet on our phone and we're transacting mm -hmm. in these digital dollars or whatever the case may be. And that's granular at the transaction level. This mm -hmm. is not, FedNow is not at the transaction level. FedNow is at the bank to bank, person to person type of level. Uh, so it's, it's something that was coming for a long time. They've talked about it. Now, nobody... Nobody is talking about how Fed now will completely change the way bank runs happen if it, if we can get our money instantly from bank to bank. Yeah. Or, you know, unless they consolidate it all down into the top four or five, the two big, the systemically important banks. Yeah, I, I wish I could have had, I couldn't get access to this stupid Economist article, but they, they bring up, they touch on a similar topic in the, their opening statement. It was paywalled. <laughs> but uh, they were talking about how... Um, you know, the speed with which transactions can happen now. So like the bank runs that we've seen um, at Silver Silicon Valley Bank, and uh, it's not a typical bank run in that people are going, I want my cash. They're saying, I want my money to go to a different institution. So there is a question of like, why is that like so difficult to, to, to happen? Um, the case seems to be, they seem to be making the case, the federal government seems to be making the case that with the FedNow system, these kinds of bank runs would not be as possible because the Fed can immediately step in and inject liquidity where it needs to be, yeah. um, which great. I mean, that's a solution, but it still seems to be devaluing the currency. You're just still just minting money to, to facilitate this. 
if if anything, crypto is great for examining economic theories in practice. Like you can see like what happens with different monetary policies, like different rates of of money of money minting and and destruction. And we can we already know like that kind of rapid injection of cash cannot be uh, really trusted. It's like it's like keeping too many plates spinning. Mm -hmm. uh, they're turning trying to turn the the U.S. dollar into an algo stable, dude. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Well, you know where the, the Twitter effect really did come in is, you know, when the Internet came about, we had so many more resources to get educated, right? If you wanted to prior to like 1993, 94, if you wanted to get educated on a subject, you had to go to the library, you had to invest days like searching and reading through. Mm -hmm. It's not that way anymore. You know, with Twitter, it's even faster. Like if you're following the right people, you are getting continually educated every single day on topics you probably had no idea about. Right. But one of these is, I mean, they said that Twitter had an effect. Twitter does have an effect, right? But it only has an effect because of the way that the banking system is set up. And, you know, they don't want anyone like Caitlin Long or, or Custodia setting up on a one-to-one -one or even an over-collateralized basis because that, that would expose the cracks in the system. But I would submit that this generation, our generation, is, is witnessing the cracks already. And so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Um, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to make any, any predictions. My, if I were to make a prediction, it would be they would figure out a Band-Aid to put on it. And if you didn't think their Band-Aid was going to work, you're a conspiracy theorist. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. That's my story and I'm sticking to it, my friend. <laughs> no, no, I get it, man. Um, yeah, so this paper, it's... It's a lot of the same criticisms from cryptocurrency you probably heard before. Um, but uh, things that I found really interesting were their proposed implementations of the CBDCs. Um, specifically, I like this line because it kind of uh, reasserts the, that the dollar is primarily like a political weapon now. Like it's, its use as a... I mean, they're trying to balance the ability to use it as like an effective means of exchange with its, their ability to wield it as a political tool, uh, both internationally and possibly domestically. Um, so we have this line here, potential US CBDC could also support other policy goals. For example, a potential US CBDC could help ensure that such payment systems are aligned with the principles of human rights, democratic values, and privacy. Um, so that's beautiful language, right? But it's the same kind of language you've heard like our whole lives about the US. But the reality of the situation is that these are often used as like smoke screens for more uh, nefarious purposes, right? Like the pursuit of a human, like upholding human rights, democratic values, and privacies, that those are all very like specific perspectives from the U.S. perspective. Like, uh, yeah, like your human rights, our human rights to have access to your aluminum. You know, we, we deserve the rights to your access to your aluminum. And so we'll devalue your currency relative to the CBDC we implement mm -hmm. to access it more effectively. And the I only thing we have to go on is to look at what other countries did. And, and unfortunately, our... Our, our beacon here or the one that we have to look at is China, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we know how that's going, right? We understand their stance a lot of the time on human rights. If you, unless you stay within the, you know, within the bumper lanes. And so it feels like we're moving in that direction. And then you have, you know, you got DeSantis in Florida that just introduced a bill that says Florida is not going to play with your CBDC. Like if, <laughs> which, which is yeah. interesting because if the federal government introduces one, I don't really know how that's going to work. Like, you know, 
what are we going to use, dude? But still, it's an interesting, yeah. interesting topic. That's kind of what I was talking about yesterday with Clay. I'm interested what you would think about this. Like, uh, I kind of like that language in that it's confrontational, but I wanted to see actually evolve into confrontation. I want to see like a lawsuit between Florida and the federal government if it were to come to that. Um, who knows, dude? It would be well, Texas introduced one as well. Same, same language, mm -hmm. banning CBDC. Florida and Texas seem to be in cahoots with a lot of yeah. this stuff, you know, <laughs> collaborating. Fine by me, dude. Fine by mm -hmm. me. Uh, so, all right. Well, thank you for that excellent, excellent breakdown. We have FOMC starting in, uh, what do we got? Let's see. We're going to get our, our rates in about an hour and a quarter. And then in an hour and 45 minutes, Powell's going to come on stage and start talking. The markets are going to go wonky. Really, nobody knows what's going to happen. So anyone that tells you they know what's going to happen is full of shit. But stand by. Tomorrow, we're going to have a lot more information. And... It's going to be a hell of a day, my friends. Uh, so stick around. Hey, if you've been watching this entire show, do me a favor. Like the video. If you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe to the channel. We are out here. You know what? Really what I want this show to be is like we're learning this shit alongside our viewers, right? We're not, we're not the news channel that's bringing something that we, you know, we want you to think about it this way, even though we all have our, our individual feelings on them. Like we're learning as we go along. You know, and so hope you guys are enjoying the show. We really, really appreciate you tuning in. Anything to say in closing, sir? Oh, no. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I really appreciate everyone showing up in chat today. I love, uh, I love the comments. I love the argument. I love to see an argument, dude. Um, so, yeah. And also, if you ever have anything you want to see us discuss, you know, shoot it at me on Twitter. I'm always open to see uh, what conversation topics you guys have in mind. What's burning in your mind on, on crypto. So. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. All right. Let's get the hell out of here. Mikey, take us home, brother.